0: This week on Merchants of Change, we've got Mari Mulatto, Senior Director of Sales at Fair Market. Fair Market sells sourcing software to help companies manage their tail spend. Mari was a three-sport high school athlete before playing hockey at the University of Delaware Blue Hens. Here she is, Mari Mulatos. I'm J.R. Butler co-founder of the shift group and you're listening to merchants of change this is a podcast about transferring the skills and behaviors we acquire as athletes into being a professional technology salesperson each week we'll introduce you to a top performer who will help us understand how they became professional merchants of change what's up kid how we doing today they are. Good, man. Good. How are you? Good. Are John, you Mari, good to see you both.
1: Nice to see you, too.
0: Mari, welcome to the show. Yep. Thanks for joining us, Mari. Um, so quick quick check on the plan today. We're going to ask a, a little bit about your sports career and then really dig in uh, talking about sales and the transition. Is that a good plan for you?
1: Sounds great to me. I, I know I'm your top athlete. I think you've interviewed a couple Olympians, so... Can't wait to be put in the same ranks as them.
0: Well, listen, like you know, speaking of top athlete, Needham High is like you know the team, the Team USA of, of Massachusetts, right? So you were a three-sport fellow, three-sport athlete, Needham High, the Rockets, and then you went on to play hockey at uh, University of Delaware. Ta- tell us a little bit about some of your fondest memories of playing sports growing up and in college.
1: Sure. Uh, well, I actually have my dad to thank for playing three sports. So I played field hockey, ice hockey, and lacrosse. And I think it was great for me. I think a lot of athletes, especially in high school, like overuse certain muscles, especially if they play all all year round. And those were three very different sports. So I definitely avoided injury, knock on wood, uh, during that time period. Uh, but then I got to play hockey in, in college. And I just loved it. I love being part of a team. I love, I'm ultra competitive, uh, which might come out later in the interview. So for me, it was just the mirroring of those two things.
0: What, um, and you were a defenseman in hockey?
1: I was, I was not very quick. So defenseman helped me. I I was like a smart player. I could see the ice well. Um, I was not afraid to body occasionally when the opportunity presented itself. So defense was a good position for me. Um, I was left defense.
2: So Mark, we defense. have a lot of different questions based on your position. Like goalies get a whole different side of questioning from us.
1: <laughs> as they as they should.
0: <laughs> it, I'll I'll say as somebody who's worked with you before, it does not surprise me at all that you played physically and aggressively. Um, do you uh, did you have like a favorite D partner from from when you played?
1: Uh, I had my favorite D partner was maybe in college, um, uh, a girl, Sarah, who's actually from the Boston area to in boxborough She was very, very strong. She was actually like bigger than me. So she gave me the confidence to sort of be a little bit more uh, aggressive on the, the blue line, which if you, if you don't have confidence in your partner, you have to play a little more conservatively. 100%. 100%.
2: Yeah. Uh, one one question I have Marty, is just like so we love having Massachusetts people especially public high school I I grew up in Mansfield Massachusetts went to Mansfield high so we like we like the local uh local flavor but can you talk a little bit about your time at Needham in Delaware and just some of the skills you adopted and learned um, through athletics
1: sure I think the biggest thing for me was a really was really around time management like being a three sport athlete managing you, you don't have the time to procrastinate and I was a driven person, but if I had had every afternoon to just go home and do whatever I wanted, I would have procrastinated like the lazy side of me would have come out. So I think that was the biggest thing for me in at Needham. Um, same thing applied in college. Too much time on your hands in college is, is not a recipe for success.
2: No, definitely not.
0: <laughs> we'll leave it at that but yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> let's just let's just say me and john agree uh, <laughs> um so so Mar, you, you get out of university of delaware you know uh job market if i remember correctly was fairly hot back then how, how did you end up in your uh in your first sales role
1: so I'm sure that a lot of people watching this, they might not know what they want. And I didn't know what I want. I tried three different majors at University of Delaware. I ended up with business and sociology. Um, <clears throat> at the time, yeah, team sociology. I So right after college, I went and waitressed in Nantucket for a summer, saved all my money. And then I spent nine months traveling Southeast Asia. I had really never had the chance to travel. My dad was saying, you know, hey, you don't have a mortgage. You don't have... Now's the time to go do it. Uh, But when I came back from Southeast Asia and I was like, all right, I need to begin my career. I need to make some money. I don't want to live with my parents. Um, My uncle is in sales and he had sort of been encouraging me to get into sales. And his pitch was get your foot in the door at a company. If you absolutely hate it, it's a perfect segue into marketing, CS, operations. Like you're learning the product, you're learning the leadership team. So he kind of pitched me on it and then. And then I liked it, so I stayed with
2: it. It's funny how that happens with a lot of our a lot of our athletes and listeners. Like people tend to have somebody in their network. So was was your uncle like a like a mentor? Was that totally just coincidence? You spoke with him about it.
1: It was coincidence that he pushed me on it, and then it was coincidence that I ran into someone in Needham at the supermarket who is in the VC space, and he had actually invested in Turbonomic, and he'd invested in. This other kind of like athletics focused startup. So he made two introductions for me, and uh, between that and my uncle kind of encouraging me, my dad is a re- recruiter and owns his own company. Recruiting is very much sales, so it's sort of the trifecta experience. Right.
0: Shout it's out! Great. Shout out to Dave Fischetti, former uh, TurboNomic board member. He's an athlete. Um, yep. So, so Turbo was your first your first sales gig. It was. Trial by fire, huh?
1: Well, it's funny. I remember in my interview, I had literally no sales experience. So I started talking about how I was trying to upsell people on the lobster rolls down in Nantucket. That was my only sales experience at that point. Well, That's yeah.
2: legit. That's well, legit. Yeah. That's what we, we encourage people, you know, like you, you sell something, right? You get it. At some point, you're convincing somebody to say yes. So right. I, I consider that to be sales. Um Can you talk a little bit more about the transition or the shift over to sales? What was, what was some of the challenges right out of the gate?
1: Um, it was certainly a competitive environment at turbo when I joined. I don't think, I think the best part, and I keep coming back to this is like structure and organization being in the office. And I sort of was for a, a chunk of my day, every day forced me to work out in the mornings. And then that was pretty much my life Monday to Friday. And so I do feel bad for people that are starting roles right now remote and they really have to create their own structure on a day-to-day basis but for me it was it was a very natural transition I'd gone from you know school plus working out to now it was just work plus working out so I didn't have too much and also I'm freaking competitive I don't know if JR can speak to that but like being in an environment where every single day every single metric is measured like I couldn't stand to be at the bottom
2: it's. I want to pick on the remote work because Jr. and I talked about this quite a bit. Can you elaborate on that? I think I have a similar feeling, but a lot of people are starting today's job, today's BDR job in a remote position or interviewing remote. So can you talk a little bit about... You I be think it's
1: so tough. I think it would be so tough to start remote. Like, How are you... I mean, just so many things that you pick up by being in person. You're seeing other execs interact. You're seeing other people, other teams... You get to meet other people, like knowing people in product, knowing people in CS is massively helpful in your in, when you're in sales. I always talk about with my reps, it's not just about building external champions. It's about building internal champions. You're always going to need like, hey, can you go talk to our CFO about getting flexible on these financing terms? Like, There's just so many elements to being in person that if you want to quickly grow your career... I would
0: encourage it. She got to start her, her day Monday through Friday at 7 a.m. seeing my smiling face and huge forehead, John. So, like, you know, <laughs> you can't beat that. You know what I mean?
1: You can't roll into the office and be tired and then look at his face at 7.30. Like, it just, it doesn't <laughs> work. <laughs> I'm
0: so, sorry. So, Larry, I'm, I'm I'm excited to ask you this question. So, like, as you know, right, we, we're, we're helping a lot of folks like like you were coming out of school or coming back from Southeast Asia. And typically our candidates are getting multiple offers from different types of companies, you know, and, and they're looking at things like, you know, well, this base is that and that base is this and this is the variable compensation. This is the benefits, you know, a lot, unfortunately, to John's point, a lot of people are making a decision on, you know, remote versus office based work. Um. What do you think is missing from the list? Like how would you advise some a, a young transitioning athlete to evaluate potential employers? Like what are the things that that you think the boxes they need to check?
1: The two things that you missed out of that list that come to mind are one, like the leadership team. So that was the first thing I looked at at Turbonomic, the the leadership team had worked together at prior companies. They were phenomenal uh, from it was CFO, CEO, CMO like just a great team and that sets the tone for the company.
0: VP of sales too,
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> great VP of sales. I think the other component that people don't really realize too is, and I certainly didn't realize this, is thinking long and hard about the product you're going to sell and the space you're going to sell into. If if you're going to sell into a CIO every single day versus a CMO, your day-to-day is going to look a lot different. The things you're going to be reading about, the, the they're sort of, who you're selling to looks at you as a consultant or looks at you as an industry expert. If you can't get passionate about whatever you're selling or that space, it's going to be a lot harder to be successful.
0: Yeah. But the, I, I, we always, I always preach the leadership team. We preach, you know, being able to find a passion, even if it's uncomfortable, like figuring out a way to make the problem that they solve and the type of customers that have that problem part of your kind of like, your excitement about the opportunity is, is huge. Um, so Maria, obviously I remember the beginning of your career very, very intimately. Um, you went from BDR to AE in seven months. So question for you, um, we, ta- we, we work with both like very young kind of fresh student athletes as also career transitioners. People that were athletes, tried to do something else, didn't love it, missed the competition, missed the teamwork. Um, but both of that, both of those profiles are looking to get into closing roles as fast as possible. So, so two part question: What's the right way to approach the BDR job? And if somebody wants to get promoted quickly, what advice would you give to them?
1: So two pieces to it. So one, that's a factor to keep in mind, like in what company you choose to work for. If you're going to work for a company that only has an enterprise sale where it's 12 plus month sales cycle, then the ramp time for you getting promoted to be a closer is a lot longer. Um, If they have an SMB or a mid-market product, the ability for you to get promoted internally is probably going to be a lot faster. The second thing I would caution is when you're interviewing, Certainly make it known that you are motivated and that is what your goal is and you have your eye on the prize. But but also make sure you're not sending out any red flags of like, if I don't get promoted in six months, like I'm quitting. Definitely avoid that. I think the biggest way too to get promoted quickly is, and this is not just BDR to a closing role, but like make your boss's job easy. Make it easy for your BDR manager to say, They crush it. Every single day they're doing X, Y, Z. They're asking me what else they can be doing. They're listening to calls. They're reaching out to other reps and asking them, like, what do you do well? And trying to steal what other reps do well. So it's sort of going above and beyond in the current role, making it clear that that's your goal. And whether it's your direct manager or other sales leaders, so whoever manages the AE team, like getting on their radar really quick. uh, Those are some of the things that come to mind.
2: So one thing you said, Mari, that is... Interesting. So obviously don't be over the top in the interview. Like I want to be an AE tomorrow, um, make it known, make your boss's job easy. I think those are great and crush your number. But in the beginning you said, there's different types of organizations where, you know, if you're looking at a product that's very complex or sophisticated, it may be in a longer sales cycle, maybe harder to make that jump or, you know, go into that, um, right away. So any, any thoughts on just, and this is just kind of, My own curiosity on bigger companies versus smaller companies. Does that play into it at all? We get that question a lot.
1: If it's a bigger company, then they're going to have more process internally. And when you ask them in the interview process, you're going to say, what's the promotion path? And they're going to be able to say, there's level one, level two, level three. And here's what you need to do to get to each of those roles. There is not going to be that clarity at a smaller company, but there's probably a more likely chance that you might be able to get promoted sooner if the need opens up or you're going to be working with, I've only worked at smaller, faster growth companies. So you're going to lack the process, but uh, I like it because there's less red tape. There's less some of the po- internal so, policy. Yeah.
2: yeah, a lot of people are rolling in that direction these days. Can you talk about um going from BDR to AE in seven months is awesome. Can you, you must have had a good cadence with the AE. Can you talk a little bit about some best practices with the BDRs working with the sales reps? So for some of the listeners who so are newer, BDR is business development rep. AE is account executive. It's it's essentially business development and sales. Um, and they're on the same team trying to do the same demand generation activity. So can you talk about that, Mari?
1: Sure. There's two things that come to mind. So first, with working with AEs, uh, the biggest thing I remember was just being like a sponge in understanding if I set up a meeting, like why did it or why didn't it go well? And what pieces of that could I control when I was then going and setting up other meetings? So I remember I set up this one meeting, I was so excited about it. And I went and talked to the AE after I was like, how'd it go? Like, and he kind of gave me blunt feedback. He was like, and eh, you got a meeting with the university during August, they had nothing better to do with their time. So, you know, being a very quick learner, though, of like, what is the AE looking for? How high can I get in an account? Like meeting with actual decision makers and being really quick to try and support them with the best meetings. And then the second piece, I remember this from my interview, JR, for your team for the AEs. I think sometimes BDRs need to realize like what the business does. I don't know if you recall this, JR, but like the business problem. So we were we were selling a solution that was application uh, performance management. And I was it took me a while to realize like that has an actual impact. If you sell to state farm and their application goes down, that has a problem for their end users. It causes like revenue issues. So really understanding what your solution can do from a business
0: impact. Yep. Tie yourself to the biggest business problem. You have much chance, but a better chance of getting budget. Um, Who was your first AE, Mari?
1: Well, we had pods at the time. So that was, I'm not going to name names on who gave me that feedback.
0: I, I, I think I, is it Cody? It sounds like something Cody would say. <laughs>
1: it was uh, Scott Essler. <laughs> and then Brady Lenihan tried to no-show one of my meetings because he'd just gotten promoted to EMEA. So uh, it was like a group of them.
0: A big boy, idea. Um, yeah. So, so Mari, I'm, I'm curious, like, you know, most of the folks that are listening to this are going through that transition. Um, they're looking for an edge, be it in the interview process or – you know, once they get into the BDR role, how do you think, like, what are the areas of development that you think athletes specifically can lean into to differentiate themselves from their competitors? People that are interviewing for the same role or people that are BDRs all going for AE promotions? Like, what are those skills that are, are best to focus on?
1: Um, two things come to mind. Maybe one, just I keep going back to time management and organization. But those are two skills that I don't think really get highlighted when people are hiring for sales. They typically think like, aggressive, go-getter, won't, you know, take no for an answer. But sometimes just being like rigidly organized about your sales process and like methodical about the accounts you're going to go after, the process you're going to go, like, I have a cadence for my mid-level people. I have this process that I follow to write more quality emails to the c level. If you can be super methodical and manage your time like that, I think that's one aspect that if you've you're if you've been an athlete your whole life, you have to manage your, your schedule. So that's one piece that I think could make them stand out as a BDR.
2: That's a good point, especially with coming over from a different industry or from athletics and you don't have the experience, you know, you really have to be aware of the time. I just know from my days, like I would talk to peers and they would spend all day, trying to load contacts into Salesforce, never talk to anyone and say, you know, before, you know, and then they kick back. It's like, that's your day. That's your whole day. is just doing that. just call those people and then put them in later and figure out a way to get them in later. Like, don't, don't use your time between eight and five to do things that you can do at six o'clock or 7am. Like that's, that's a big thing, especially for, uh, for entry level. Um, Switching real quick over to mentorship. So you mentioned your dad and your uncle. Sometimes it's a coach or a, another player or just somebody random you met. Um, can you talk a little bit about mentorship in sales and how that's kind of important to you?
1: Sure. Um, well, for the longest time, I was looking for, like, a female sales leader to try and, like, mimic myself after. And I think I realized I don't need just, like, one role model. So I have a lot of role models that I try and just steal their best qualities from. So I do talk about my dad a lot and he's certainly helpful from like a business and a career perspective, but I'm not going to call him up if I'm saying, Hey, I need to revise the comp plans for my team. So I've tried to just sort of build like a network of people that I can rely on for different pieces. So I have some former bosses from Drift that uh, are good that I call up for certain things. I have. I did end up finding like an exec mentor through Pavilion, uh, if you have heard of that organization. Uh, so they paired me up with someone who works at a much bigger company and she's been fantastic at providing that lens. But like even working for JR and just stealing the best of JR, like his passion, his work ethic, like trying to steal things from different people, uh, not just having one singular role model.
0: I like that. Yeah, the 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 best salespeople in the world—they know they know what to steal and what to like be self-aware of, like not to do, right? Which I'm sure you got a lot of that from me too.
1: Maybe one or two things. <laughs>
0: uh, so I it's I've been obviously since Turbo watching your career from afar, and it's been so exciting and watching you move from an individual contributor to sales leadership. Um, can you? Like what, what are some of the biggest lessons you got from that transition, Mari?
1: So because I was at a fast growth company, there was not a lot of process. There was not a lot of training and it was a little bit figured out as you go. So what I just tried to do was steal from my past bosses, like what I had liked and not liked. And sometimes when you're a sales rep, you can feel like, hey, I'm the only one pushing for this deal internally. I have finance coming down my street about payment terms. I have products saying, hey, you're selling something that doesn't exist or whatever the case is. And so as a boss, I just try to be like my team's biggest advocate. So there's going to be roadblocks. Like how can I help them get around those, whether it's me knowing the product inside and out, whether I have internal champions. So when I first started uh, at Fair Market as a manager, my key things in the first 30 days was becoming a product matter expert, like learning the business case inside and out, building internal champions from the other departments so that wherever possible, I could advocate for my team's deals. Uh, that's what I've tried to do. And if you have deals that are closing, no one's going to be upset. So
2: I, th- I think stealing is a great way to put it, too. And I I, I did something similar in my previous role. Um, I was knocking my head against the wall trying to figure out how to sell something at my company. And I just called up the guy that I saw who was number one. He was number one multiple years in a row. I said, can I talk to you for a second? I was like, this is what I'm doing. What are you doing? And I still talk to that guy years later. I think it's been 15 years later. I still talk to the guy just about what he's doing. And, um, you know, you can learn something from anyone. But if you kind of steal from the, the best, I think that's where you can really elevate your game.
1: Yeah. For new BDRs, there should be some sort of mechanism at the company that shows, like, this is how we're tracking new meetings being scheduled. So that was my favorite thing to do every day of just, like, Hey, JR got a meeting. I'm going to go look up the email that he sent to get that meeting. Or John got a meeting. I'm going to go, it looks like he got it off a cold call. I'm just going to Slack John and say like, Hey, how'd you get that? So like, it's a constant thing. And obviously the top performers too, reaching out to them.
0: So, so Mari, now that you're in like team building mode, um, you know, and you're hiring for like, obviously a higher level role than, than what most of our candidates are going for. But can you talk a little bit about like how, how are you approaching the interview process? What are you looking for?
1: Um, I mean, I'm looking for specifically why they want to work at my company, not just be in sales, not just sell an enterprise software company. Like, why do they want to be at my company and why do they think they've, they'll be a good fit? And that's going to be their answers to questions are going to be indicative. How much research have they done? Uh, have they sold into the space before? Have they sold... just into the space of procurement but do they know like the landscape that we play in so like erp p2p space uh so that's the first thing i'm looking for the second thing is is it sounds cliche but like adaptability and coachability uh i do work with a lot of more senior and tenured professionals they're going to be good at a lot of things that i'm not good at but they still have to learn how to sell our particular product and so are they going to be receptive to feedback how are they going to get up to speed uh those are of the things also we have a lean enablement team so like are they a self-starter or am i gonna have to handhold them the first nine months
0: yeah you're you're self-starter you're 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 in an interesting spot mari similar to to myself when i moved into enterprise at turbo where you're you're typically managing people that are older and more tenured than you do you have you kind of gotten your arms around the best way to, to 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 go about that
1: um I think if you're not confident in your role then you won't be able to get your hands around that. I age and experience is really just a number. Um, I know Fair Market's product inside and out. I have extensive experience selling to the largest companies here. So someone could come knocking on our door and they could have extensive experience which is great. I want to hire people that know what they're doing. Uh, but it comes back to they they don't they haven't sold Fair Market yet. And so there are going to be twists and turns in any deal, especially enterprise deals. Uh, we just closed a deal yesterday where it's been in legal since May. So just like, there's going to be things that come up and I'm very confident that I can help them accelerate things. So I, I don't really have any qualms about managing, uh, people with different backgrounds.
2: What guidance do you have for women who are getting started in sales, Mari?
1: The same advice my uncle gave me, just, just get in sales and you'll find your way. And if you're competitive, then you're going to do well. And, uh, and you're going to probably stand out because just the way it is, there's not a ton of sales, but that's a good thing. Like it's good to stand out, especially if you're doing well. If you're not doing well, well then you're going to want to hide in the corner and you should probably find a new role.
0: So, so John, at one point when Mari was on my team, I had a entire team of female sellers and guess what? We were the number one team in the company, like, you know, two years in a row. So, that's awesome. you know, we, we always tell our female candidates, like if you're a hardworking you know, passionate female, like, you know, a a female over a male, 10 out of 10 times, all things being equal because of the empathy that comes with it, the organization, like there's something to be said. Um, And I think it's it's really great that we're starting to see an increase in that kind of piece of software sales. We're seeing more and more females over, you know, over 50% of our candidate pool is females and people of color. So that diversity is going to be huge as as tech, tech becomes more important. Um so, so Mari, two final questions um the first one we we like our guests to highlight one skill that you've developed that makes you an elite seller what what's your like number one top skill you think
1: uh, oh uh i think like active listening and just m- methodical i think active listening it uh i saw this on linkedin too today it's not about listening to someone with the intent of just responding it's the like listening to someone to hear, I think you might have seen the LinkedIn post. Uh, like being active listening is such an underrated skill in sales. And then if you're methodical about your follow up organization and run, especially enterprise sales, like there's so many, there's there can be 40 people involved with a deal. Do so you have to be organized?
2: Listening is so tough. Like it, it kills me sometimes if I'm on a call with someone and the prospect is talking and the is talking or you know the candidate's talking and the recruiters. Everybody's trying to talk and nobody's listening. Like nobody's listening to the problem, right? It's just, yep. especially in
0: sales, everybody wants to talk. List, listening to understand. Shout out Yo Tom and Matt O'Brien. <laughs> um, so Mari, this is a little bit of a hockey analogy. You know the the household I grew up in with a hockey coach as a dad. My dad used to preach to us. He used to say, "Listen, there's a lot of there's a lot of kids that play hockey." but there's not a lot of hockey players, right? And, he, and, he, and we, we kind of really understood at a very young age what it meant to be a professional. Um, it's something that I think I carried into my, my sales career. And, you know, we think at Shift Group, the highest praise you can give a salesperson is calling them a sales professional, a pro. Um, talk a little bit, like what does being a pro in this industry, what does it mean to you?
1: Uh, I'm going to give you another buzzword, which is when I think of a sales pro, I think of extreme ownership. They own their stuff every single day. They're not walking into the day and saying, oh, what am I doing today? They have a plan that they're going into the day, into the week with when they're a rep and they're closing deals. They know their deals inside and out. They know their deals, companies and the business behind it inside and out. They know their internal champions, inside and out. They know, hey, I'm running into this issue. I'm going to tag in JR because I think JR and this person are going to align. Like, it's just, uh, yeah, it's a little bit hard to put into words, but that's how I think about it for my reps. Zone it. Yeah.
0: I I get it. I think it's an awesome answer because it's like, it's all the things you talked about, but it's also extreme ownership of your own development, extreme ownership of understanding and self-awareness of your weaknesses and your own strengths and extreme ownership of like, you know, realizing that it's, it's not just you selling the customer, it's your job to surround the whole company with the customer. Right. We used to always talk about how as a sales rep, everybody works for you from the CEO down. Right. And having the ownership and ability to do that is what makes the pros, the pros. Um, awesome, awesome answer. It's also a great book, by the way, Mari, I don't know if you've read it.
1: I've met Jocko impressive guy.
0: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. One of my favorite books. Um, I got a copy for all the the Turbo execs at one point. (laughs) Um, Mari, this was awesome. This is gonna be so helpful for our candidates and and other people that are early in their career. So thank you so much for spending the time with John and I. We really appreciate it.
1: Of course, great to meet you, John, and uh, always a pleasure
0: to Yep, keep up the great work, kid. This wraps up this episode of Merchants of Change. If you enjoyed this episode, the most meaningful way to say thanks is to submit a review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're interested in working with us, please come find us at www.shiftgroup.io.